City Video. This is Russ. Do you have that one with that guy who was in that movie that was out last year? <sighs> Hello and welcome to the Emerald City Video Podcast. I'm your host, Russ Burlingame, and with me today is Zach Roberts. Hello. And we are doing the second episode of our Snyder Cut Month. Uh, if you don't know what that is, the very short version is that there's a frequently trending hashtag right now about the Snyder Cut of Justice League. Zack Snyder, who's the credited director of that film, did not have final cut over the movie for a variety of reasons, uh, not least of which was that he left it and left it in the hands of his friend Joss Whedon. Because people didn't fall immediately in love with the movie, it became a debate about whether the Snyder... uh, I can't remember what they call the cut that does exist of Snyder's, but it was like a rough cut that was not fully fully realized whether that would have been better. Yeah. And because of the fact that half of Zack Snyder's movies do, in fact, have director's cuts, we (laughs) decided to spend some time looking at the ones that are already out there and saying, like, what does his kind of preferred cut bring to the table that the theatrical cuts traditionally have not. Yeah. This week we are going to be talking about Watchmen, which depending on who you ask, may be Zack Snyder's masterpiece. Mm. Uh, That this tends to be the one that's incredibly people either love it or really have no use for it in a way that, you know, similarly 300 kind of got. And I guess Sucker Punch, I've never seen Sucker Punch, so I can't speak to. Uh, I think Sucker Punch is a little more extreme than all the others. Um, yeah. I know I know a lot of people that that love Sucker Punch, but they're, most of them, I, I think, would probably admit that it's not an amazing film. They just love it. It's like, it's like their Hudson Hawk <laughs> to yeah. me. Like, I love Hudson Hawk. It's a terrible film. Um, but, uh, most of the people that I know that really love it are in really deep into the cosplay scene or deep into the burlesque scene and things like that. So they kind of have like, it's like, it's like their film, you know, it's like their, like, you know, it's like a journalist film for me or something, you know, it's like, (laughs) now I want to, now I want to see a Hudson Hawk burlesque act. (laughs) Talk to Christopher Lee. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I'll never do one. (laughs) So just spilled my drink. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Shit. Nice. Good thing we're not doing video. There we go. But, yeah. So uh, this. Is- <laughs> I guess you won't be going to that hat convention in July. So <laughs> that actually would be a great bet. But anyway, yeah. go ahead. Sorry, Russ. As I bring us on to the Hudson Hawk, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which we need a director's uh, cut of. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the Snyder cut. That's what I was gonna say. We just need to hire Zack Snyder to do it <laughs> for some reason. If I won the lotto. That would not be a thing that I would do. <laughs> if I anyway. won the like six hundred million dollar like Super Bowl lotto, that might be something that. You know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Watchmen definitely has a lot more very clear difference between the director's cut of the film yeah. and the one and the theatrical cut versus what we talked about last time, which was Dawn of the Dead, where mm-hmm. it was nearly indiscernible. One thing to get out of the way right off the top is we're doing the director's cut of Watchmen because that has been singled out as a, by a number of the Snyder kind of hardcore fans as being Zack Snyder's version. (laughs) There is a theatrical cut, which is uh, I want to say about 15, 20 minutes shorter. Mm -hmm. And then there's also a, an ultimate cut, 
which is about half an hour longer and which includes the tales from the black freighter animated movie that they they shot which was released on blu-ray and dvd around the same time that this movie came out in theaters and apparently snyder was not crazy about the way that the tales from the black freighter stuff interacted with the film so this is his version so rather than just taking the longest we figured that Mm -hmm. the, the logical thing to do would be to take his uh, <clears throat> I've seen the original, the theatrical cut of this movie many, many times. Uh, when I was living in New York in 2008 and early 2009, this was kind of the last New York event that I covered was the press screening for Watchmen. And I was still working on the other side of town from where I lived. And I downloaded a bootleg of this and had it on my like media player. and so i would i would like watch slash listen listen to bits of it when i was on my 40 minute subway commute and so i've seen the theatrical cut of this a bunch of times in glorious 240p or whatever it would have been (laughs) i don't think it was probably p but yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) but uh i mean to be honest with you it was also it was like a 35 dollar media player yeah. Uh, that was not an eye anything. And so probably it was just, it was the perfect <laughs> storm of like, this is how you can, if you're going to watch it on a crappy media player, just this is how to do it. <laughs> um, but uh, so yeah, uh, there's, there's a whole, actually, if you go to watchman.wikia.com, which is one of those fandom wikis, you can find a like crowdsourced list of differences between the theatrical and director's cut of the film. A lot of them are literally just like slightly extended versions of scenes and things like that. I do think that by and large, a lot of the things that are left into the director's cut improve the movie because there was so much plot in this movie that you end up occasionally kind of short shrifting character in order to make a movie that's less than three hours long and still gets everything out of the way. Yeah. Uh, the director's cut is, I think, three oh six or something. I think that's about right. Yeah, I just I just finished rewatching it, and that seems uh, like at least with the credits and everything like that, that yeah. seems to be right. And um, so that you you definitely got stuff in here that you would not have gotten in this kind of theatrical release. Yeah. Watchmen, for context, I think cost about one hundred and forty million to make. They made about one hundred and eighty million, and so that was not what you call a blockbuster outing. Uh, it would be interesting. They're, they're doing an HBO series of Watchmen next with uh, Damon Lindelof from Lost involved. And I'm really interested to see how people respond to it. Yeah. In part because I remember having a conversation at the time, you know, the New York Times wrote their review of Watchmen and the headline was like, bang, pow, biff. <laughs> One of those stupid Batman 66 yeah. headlines that the mainstream media uses every time they're talking about comics. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is about Watchmen. That's no, <laughs> like that's, <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, they, I, I know at least once they use the tired, like comics aren't just for kids anymore, kind of. Yeah. And, and so it was 2009, the Marvel cinematic universe did exist and dark Knight had just come out, but we were not in full court press. We're making five superhero movies a year kind of yeah. territory. Like also, we are now. I mean, also, I, I don't think that uh, any of us um, 
you know, even at this point where, you know, both of us were, you were like actually writing for comic book sites. I was, right. you know, I was covering cons and things like that. I don't think that anybody, I don't think that anybody was realistically thinking that we would be ever anywhere near what we are today where no, no. like, I mean, Black Panther's on the cover of the, I mean, first off, Black Panther has a film. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, Watchmen was like, fucking weird that it had a film but like it was like va- it was like the one comic book that was vaguely considered like a literary achievement yeah it was um, on the times 100 greatest novels of the 20th yeah. century and it was you know so it was kind of the anti you know it was kind of the anti superhero book um, mm-hmm. and so you could kind of see how it could happen and also you know um Zack Snyder had enough pull that i mean I think we have to say that this has has to have been at least to some level a personal pet project of his, like where he's like, no, I promise. Like, I, mean, I don't know if he did, you know, it's like one of those projects where he probably like did it for scale or, you know what I mean? Like, because it's interesting. It, it's, it's a movie that, <laughs> yeah, well, it, it is a movie though, that Warner brothers has always wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam Hamm actually had the guy who wrote Batman actually had a script for this. I want to say in like 1990, yeah. And it bounced around for a little while and it's supposedly really good. Although it makes it like, it's really, really different from the book and it's very different than the film we eventually got yeah. uh, for probably mostly logistical reasons, because obviously a lot of the things that happen in Watchmen wouldn't have been doable in 1990. Yeah. But uh, the, there was a point, there was a stretch of time where it was like, this movie is getting made. Uh, I believe Fox had optioned it at one point and they were going to have, I think Paul Greengrass do it. And then that fell apart after they'd already released like a teaser image and bought a website. Hmm. Cause there was, I remember very distinctly a website for Paul Greengrass's Watchmen movie that had literally nothing on it except for like the bloody smiley badge and a coming soon. Yeah. But when when that option expired and Warner Brothers decided to make the movie, it turned out to be a whole thing. Fox actually sued them, and Fox ended up getting some money out of this movie in order to like as a settlement. Because even though Warner Brothers was technically in the right, the lawsuit went through like two weeks before the theatrical release, and there was literally no stopping the train. Yeah, yeah. so it was a whole thing. I remember that. And between the Greengrass version and the Snyder version, there was a moment where Terry Gilliam was going to do this movie. Oh my God. And <laughs> yeah. And, and I remember that now. Yeah. Yeah. Terry Gilliam being Terry Gilliam is one of those, like, first of all, the reason it didn't happen from what I understand is that he pitched the movie as a Terry Gilliam movie. And Warner brothers was like, we can't spend $140 million on this. We will die. <laughs> uh, we will lose a hundred million dollars. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, but the uh, probably not incorrect. No, no, probably <laughs> I mean, not. I would go. See, I would probably be a considerable portion of the forty million dollar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, that was a that was a glint in the eye of Warner Brothers for a little while that that Gilliam was going to do it, and poor Terry Gilliam, I don't think he really fully understood the gravity of putting himself into that situation because now it's, you know, 12 years later. And every time he makes a new movie, people are still asking him about 
Watchmen and superhero <laughs> movies and all of the things that you ask people about when, you know, uh, and, and he said some not great things at some point about this movie, I think. And so that then has become like the story unto itself that Terry Gilliam didn't like it. And well, I mean, uh, I'm reading here that uh, he uh, believing that the comic book would be better directed as a five hour miniseries. So um, <laughs> maybe they can have him direct an episode of the uh, HBO show. Yeah, that would be uh, quite fascinating. Oh, wow. I didn't announce that Paramount. I, I didn't know Darren Aronofsky was uh, attached. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. I forgot. Darren Is Aronofsky that... has been attached to like seven comic <laughs> yeah. book movies and never actually made one. <laughs> I feel almost bad for her. like that's actually that'd be like a fascinating interview upon itself and be like I just want to talk to you about all the all the scripts that you have you you have read that you plan to to uh direct and then never got to yeah, <laughs> like exactly. the Aaron Aronofsky like the Aronofsky uh Batman script I would I would still yeah. love to see which I think is actually out there on the internet now yeah oh I mean I'd love to see it produced I mean like yeah, back yeah. in was that before that was before that was, he was the very last person who had his hands on the ball before Christopher Nolan. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, uh, that would have been that, – that's fascinating. They literally, mm-hmm. yeah, they were making – the plan was for Aronofsky to make a movie that was going to be called Batman Year One and based heavily on Frank Miller's Year One. Yeah. And for whatever reason, it fell apart. And Aronofsky went off to start planning a Wolverine movie that never happened. And <laughs> Christopher Nolan came in and was like, let's tweak the Year One thing just a bit. And that's how we got Batman Begins. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, so I, I'm interested to see how the, the HBO thing shakes out because like the, at the end of all of this, my, my biggest thing is that now that we do have comic book superheroes just everywhere all yeah. the time, the deconstructionist elements of Watchmen will make a lot more sense to kind of casual moviegoers who prior to this would have had no real context for what was being deconstructed. Yeah. And so I feel like a lot of the most interesting stuff from Watchmen, even when Snyder carried it over fairly verbatim, didn't connect with kind of casual moviegoers in a way because they didn't really have any reason to understand the tropes of A, comic book storytelling, but B, yeah. particularly pre-Crisis on Infinite Earths, like 1980s superhero comic book storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, uh, it's especially, I can't remember the last time I actually saw, uh, either version, uh, uh, you know, and so watching, watching it again for this, um, not only do I see it as a better film than I remember it. Um, mm-hmm. I remember being one of the very few people, um, kind of like how I am. And I know this is like a sacrilege, um, and I'll probably lose my uh, lose my work for comicbook.com if I admit, the, admit this out loud. But I've always been kind of meh about uh, Watchmen. <laughs> mm-hmm. I literally am that person where I'm like, I respect that it's it's brilliant, but it's just not for me. Like right. I know how like Watchmen very much has like the it's to, you know very small group of people I think at this point that at least admit out loud that it, you know they think it's it's bad. And then but everybody else is like you know it's. You know, I don't know. It's the Bible of, or it's yeah. something else. You know, it's the. Um, I for a very long time was in kind of the same boat as you in terms of it. It wasn't really for me, but I, I respected the artistry of it. Yeah. And then, because of just the nature of my job and having to reread it periodically for various things, I started to see kind of the, the form stuff, <laughs> and that made me appreciate it in a different way. Yeah. So it's it, I, I definitely know where you're coming from because I have not always been like the biggest Watchmen fan in the world. It's really just 
after you know the eighth time that you read it and you start yeah. to be like oh here's all this cool shit who i didn't that i didn't notice before yeah i mean i think the the new series uh the new run uh for doomsday clock and everything like that makes it also i mean when i think that also once you start adding a uh, a wider world around um a book like this mm-hmm. then it adds i don't know I mean, gravitas is the wrong word um because it, it the book has its own weight yeah it has its, its own it, like literal gravity to it i feel like um, it's more context than anything else but yeah yeah i mean it's like you know superman spider-man batman they all have you know especially in 2018 these entire universes and multi <laughs> multiverses everything um and so it's i think that it's easier to find a way to like superman mm-hmm specifically like in that book in general like you can pick right. up uh you can pick up superman and be like oh i like superman i may not like these particular portions of it but this is an individual book and there's right. not really any other uh graphic novels that i can think of that are and yeah not graphic, you know but like the one-off stories like beginning middle and end of right. a small number of books you know um you know even you know tra- like transmat or you know if you're widening out from beyond you know things that are really more novels like, like Watchmen is um, there's not, I can't think of anything else. I mean, I could I mean, be most certainly wrong. Like the like literally, I can't think of anything else. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff. I mean, there's a lot of obviously indie stuff. And then with, with the big two, the nature of the beast is that things get capitalized on if they're successful. Yeah. So uh, most of the stuff that is self-contained is either, cult classics and not really big hits or something like Watchmen where it stood alone for years, largely because the management at DC at the time respected Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons and wanted to not kind of mess with it. But ultimately that sort of attitude ends (laughs) up changing over time because corporate has always wanted more. (laughs) Well, and and also now we have a film universe and a TV universe and everything else to fill. So yeah. We need product. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that's all a whole different conversation that we can have on another yeah. podcast. But uh, <laughs> I, I think, so first of all, I think it's really interesting. I do think that the Snyder cut enriches this film, but it is certainly not like Batman v Superman where it redefines the context of the movie and changes a lot of stuff significantly. Yeah, uh, you know, it's certainly not not a complete edit change in the way that, you know, and linear like the storytelling. It doesn't change the storytelling. It expands yeah. it, but it doesn't change it. Yeah, there's and then there's a lot of weird things too that you look at. Uh, you know how a lot of the time when there's a scene that's cut, there will be like orphaned pieces of it throughout yeah. the movie, and yeah. so you're you're just like, oh, I wonder what that was all about. Whatever. Uh, a, a good chunk of the stuff at the beginning of the director's cut that didn't make it to the theatrical cut, whether it was good, bad, or indifferent, it all got sacrificed on the altar of the very first thing that got removed, which was uh, the two cops who find Rorschach when he's in the comedian's apartment. Yeah. Uh, after that got cut from the theatrical cut, there was like a news report later on and uh, there was a conversation about it between Night Owl and Rorschach that, and all of these things ended up getting kind of trimmed and it wasn't necessarily because the content wasn't good. It was just because 
they cut either for time or for sympathy or for whatever they cut Rorschach having the confrontation with the cops and rather than having it just pop up on the news and going, Oh, okay. That's a thing that happened off camera. They decided to just excise a bunch of little things that added up to probably about three minutes of footage that were all tied to that one, you know, 40 second scene that they cut in the beginning. Yeah. And certainly it's interesting because you see traces of that kind of cut in Batman and Superman. Yeah. The volume of the things that they cut in that movie is, is much larger and, and that got replaced for the, the ultimate cut. Yeah. But, uh, that kind of is the, the flavor of the edit here. Uh, there's a lot of things where it's literally just, you, you could have done without this scene, but having it in, hurts nothing and enriches the character a little bit. There's a lot of Rorschach in the director's cut. They got, yeah, no, I mean, and, and I, I I don't think that, uh, I think that, I mean, beyond the fact that, I mean, he's the, the the way the character that the internet remembers is Rorschach. Right. And that's, and that's kind of telling now. I mean, like that is honestly like nowadays, that's one of the ways that films have lives. Like, you know, because there are so many films that come out that hit mainstream, you know, I mean, it used to be, you'd have like a handful of films that were like prominent that would make over, make over 50, 60, $70 million. And now yeah. you're having a dozen films a year that are making a hundred million dollars or so. Um, and so it's kind of sad, but I mean, maybe that's not, it's not sad because I don't know there's probably a way there's an equivalent, you know, 30 years ago that what gifts and, and clips and, and memes and that sort of thing mean. But I mean, like um, I can't think of any, you know, I mean, there's nothing, no other characters. I mean, there's also, I mean, for, I would say for uh, um, almost any of Snyder's films outside of uh, 300, no other, no other, like no other character has been more, is more gifable and more, yeah. you know, meme, meme made than he is and and i think that that has a lot to do with i I think that has a lot to do with the the director's cut and expanding his character like i don't remember i remember being excited for rorschach because i like him as a character i think he's the more interesting person Mm -hmm. obviously that's you know there's a reason for that um but uh um but in the uh in the expand extended um expanded i can't talk uh expanded director's cuts i mean like looking at the the scenes that were added um, when you're looking at what was, you know, what was added in this, in this uh, wiki here, Mm -hmm. it's like, Oh my God, I can't believe that not only would they have cut that out (laughs) because I mean, I think that like the opening scene of, you know, the more, it's not opening opening, but you know, early scene of Rorschach beating up two cops um, very quickly establishes and quite efficiently establishes what type of, not superhero he is yeah. <laughs> you know um and that's and that's incredibly important you know yeah it's and i do think one of the things that this movie doesn't shy away from is showing you a side of the costumed adventurers uh, i stopped short of saying heroes because most of them are not particularly heroic most of the time <laughs> yeah, yeah but showing you a side of the costumed adventurers that is not positive and not a traditional hero role yeah. You know, we see the comedian, you know, you see him get killed in the in the opening moments of the movie. And so it would have been easy to say, oh, he's the murder victim and the movie centers on the murder investigation. He's right. obviously yeah. a sympathetic figure. Yeah. But 
in the opening credits, which happens literally moments after his death, you see him assassinate John F. Kennedy. And yeah. <laughs> at that point, yeah. you kind of know maybe he's not entirely a murder Vietnam, Vietnamese uh, yeah, exactly. people. And, and I couldn't yeah, remember I if that was in the credits or not, but yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I think that isn't it. It's in the, in the incredibly, I like literally have a note here. Incredibly Snyder. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the slow motion, whatever weird, like literally animated gifs. Like these, that's what these things are. Like what yeah. we used to have, like before gifs are everything now. But like specifically, just we'd be like, oh, this like slow motion movement um, that he fucking loves. And I mean, I love too. I mean, so I'm not, I'm not arguing. But right, right. I like, I, I, I literally, I, yeah. Again, I have a note here where it's just like uh, the opening, the credit sequence is. I would bet if if there were no studio directs around him uh, telling him what to do, the entire film would be <laughs> like, I mean, I, I can't see, like, I think that he would do it, which is, I think one of the problems with, uh, um, Oh my God. I'm, uh, the other film that he directed, which I'm, we just discussed. Um, Dawn of the dead. No, no. The um, sucker punch. Oh, yeah. Sucker punch, which sucker punch is like, my remembrance of it, and we'll have I I I'll, I can correct myself when we when we get to that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, my remembrance of it was that basically Sucker Punch is about forty percent that. Yeah, just <laughs> like, Snyder being Snyder. Just Snyder, like basically clearly having no like the studios have just let him do what he wants to do with no one around, and that's it. And with a bunch of incredibly attractive women. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, I will say that this movie has a distinctly Snyder flavor. And it's funny because the comic kind of does too, in the sense that it lacks in subtlety and in spectacular ways. Oh yeah. But, and so it really, in a lot of ways is a very good choice for him. And he's a very good choice for Watchmen. Uh, Even though, you know, there, there are bits and pieces, you know, a lot of people don't like the, the changes he made to the ending. I actually, we can get to that in a little while, but I actually kind of like at least part of it. Yep. Uh, but one thing that uh, I really like that is very Snyder. And again, like going right to the beginning of the, of the movie mm-hmm. is the, uh, the way that they use the, the media and screens in this movie feels very Snyder. Yeah. Uh, we saw a little bit of it in Dawn of the Dead. You see more of it elsewhere. And obviously, like, it's also kind of a, a double-edged thing because you're translating a printed comic to a f- feature live-action film. And there are a lot of things that don't, don't come by one-to-one. Yeah. And so when the comedian is channel surfing in the beginning, you get a sense for the world through the screens, but you also see a live-action uh, Vite cosmetics ad or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And those ads were kind of everywhere in the comic. But I think that because the design aesthetic of this movie is so incredibly busy, it would have been unlikely that had they only been, you know, billboards in the background or something that you would have taken as much note of it as you do when you're seeing that, that on screen. And so I think that was a really good example of using something that's very Zack Snyder to bring something that's very Watchmen to the front, to the forefront. Yeah. No, most Uh, certainly. And I also think that uh, he uses music really effectively here. It's funny because the movies that he's made basically since Sucker Punch Mm -hmm. have been orchestral 
primarily scores and you haven't had a yeah. lot of pop music uh, in both Dawn of the Dead. And in this, you see the way he uses music and it's totally different from what you'll see later in his filmography. Yeah. It'll, it'll be interesting to see now that he's like out of the DC universe and is doing his own, like whatever that like self-financed movie that he's working on right now is yeah. if he goes back to pop music and has the like James Gunn sensibility a little bit or yeah. whether he's moved past that in his approach to things. Uh, once again, with the James Gunn of it all, it's worth reminding you that Tyler Bates uh, <laughs> scored this movie. He's the same guy who scored Guardians of the Galaxy. And I don't know if he had thoughts on the kind of way that pop music was was used, but I do kind of feel like the way that you see a much more kind of James Gunnian take on the use of popular music in this movie probably rolls right out of the fact that both Snyder and uh, Tyler Bates worked with Gunn on Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's, and it's uh, even more so in this film, because I mean, at least in Dawn of the Dead, you had a world where that music existed. Um, yeah. And, you know, and, and like, you know, the fact that they had different versions of it, they had Richard cheeses, you know, um, down with the sickness and that sort of thing kind of works right. really well with the, the mall music and music sort of shit. Um, but uh, with this, uh, it, I'm surprised it actually works um, because, again, it again my, my remembrance and, uh, is that it doesn't work that well in Sucker Punch, um, and I'm sure that fans of the film will scream at me about that. But um, and and maybe I'll correct myself when we sit down right, and yeah. watch, do the rewatch. Um, but uh, it it doesn't quite work here. But it actually, I think, uh, does work because it's not, they're also not the straight versions of the songs. They're a little bit, I think they're a little bit adapted, at least it seems. Um, and yeah, I think, I mean, certainly the times they are changing got extended oh, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. The, the opening credits of Watchmen is longer than the times they are changing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like 45 minutes long. Um, but, uh, but I mean, I, I, that all, all, all that like surprisingly works. Um, especially I think I'd be, I'd be interested uh, to see a direct compare to the theatrical to the extended, because those seem mm-hmm. scenes seem longer to me when they're, when they're being used for music. Yeah. Um, it, it, it also again like back to the opening sequence, uh, which I think is, it's, you know, like I said before, it's the most Snyder Snyder thing ever, but yeah. Um, it is it, like I, I have probably fifteen hundred words of notes on this movie, and about <laughs> five hundred of them are just on the opening ten minutes because yeah. the beginning of this movie is like a bold declaration of purpose. Yeah, and but it's it's interesting um, to compare it when you when you think about the um, not even Batman versus Superman, but Justice League. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to get because I saw like I actually sent you a note rewatching yeah, it. Yeah. I was just like, it's like clearly he he I, whether he wanted to homage or whether he wanted he was just like I know how to make this I know how to make Justice League it's going to be like Watchmen because there's a bunch of characters and it'll right. be really dark and you know and and my God if he could have pulled that shit off um, with Justice League and you know I know we defer on Justice League a bit. But uh, I, I do think one of the things that's interesting is watching this movie again, because it has been a while since I watched it. I've seen this version only once before, and I've seen mm-hmm. the theatrical cut and the ultimate cut at least three to four times each. Mm-hmm. Uh, but watching this movie again, I was really struck by how 
much more I kind of liked it than I remember myself liking it. Like I, I remember yeah, myself liking it a lot and thinking that it was really underrated. Yeah. Because but but I, I very much watching this movie, I was like, this might be Snyder's best superhero movie. Like even I, even while I really love his his like DC superhero movies, I feel like this is the one where his style most complimented the source material in a way that made it a kind of unique theatrical experience that I don't think anybody else could have done. Most certainly. I mean, especially, I mean, especially when you consider, I mean, hundred percent agree with you, but especially when you consider it's 2009, uh, right. That this film came out. Um, and so it's incredible. It just fucking ridiculous to think that the, not only that this film came out in 2009 and outside of some small things, where I'm like, this is we- this is a little weird. It looks like it- this film could come out today. Um, oh, yeah. In fact, in a lot of ways, this film looks heck of a lot better than Justice League does. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I'm not even saying like you know CG and shit like that because right, it doesn't. Right. This film doesn't try. Not only, I don't think really necessarily has to. Um, you know, Doctor Manhattan is is pretty. I think relatively. You know, God forbid. I'm sorry to the CG person that I'm whoever worked at <laughs> worked at it, and he's like, "Fuck you." Wasn't simple. <laughs> Tried yeah, 2009. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I mean, like that works. Like, and yeah. that works. And Doctor Manhattan, even when he's enormous and different sizes, works better than the fucking uh, the bat, the big bat. Oh, holy shit! What the fuck's Steppenwolf? Name? Steppenwolf. And yeah. I mean, and that's I mean, mind you, that's not saying a lot because um, well, Steppenwolf I, was a complete fucking disaster. This um, movie really had a great. Like, I think this movie did a really good job of blending the mm-hmm. practical and CGI effects in a way that a lot of more modern movies don't. They just go for full CGI. And, and also, I mean, and also they they committed a bit. They were able to. I mean, obviously, it's the world and the right. age and, like, the the fact that it's not, like, Batman versus Superman and, and Justice League are, to some level, in the real world. This right. is clearly... Watchmen's world like this is a different world so everything can look like the like the scene and uh when um the comedian is is killing uh Vietnamese that's clearly a state like it's it's it has it's lit like a stage set and I think it's supposed to look like that um like that wasn't just like bad lighting and bad set design that was supposed to look like that um at least that's the way it read read to me and, you know, I mean, and things like, uh, you know, the uh, the ship and, and, and all, you know, and all the different, you know, the different, uh, not even sets, but like weapons and everything like that. Right. Yeah, they they probably would work, look a little, um, uh, not maybe not low rent, but, uh, you know, B film if they right. were in a in a blockbuster film today, but they work 100% in the world, uh, which again is something that like it's. It's interesting because, you know, we'll never, unfortunately, we'll probably never fucking know what happened to Justice League um, <laughs> since no one's talking about it. Um, and we'll probably, you know, I know this is the whole point of this, but, you know, we'll probably never get a Snyder cut. Um, I, I'm, I'm always, I'm interested in that because I don't know. I genuinely don't. Like, I don't think that it'll happen soon because yeah. I, it's my belief that there are people at Warner and or people at DC who would just yeah. rather get the whole thing behind them. Yeah. But I do feel like, you know, we eventually got that Richard Donner cut of Superman two. Yeah. True. And I, I, I can't help but wonder if 
10 years from now, they're just like, you know what? It's a way to make some money and it doesn't hurt anybody and it's not that expensive to finish. The, the question is, again, what, at what point the finish, how, how long is it to finish? Yeah. Do you have to bring Snyder back in? How much is that going to cost? Yeah. Um, and, and also, I mean, I hate to say, like, even three years ago, um, you know, especially when this film was came out and all the different versions came out, mm-hmm. releasing these things was a different animal. You know, now, oh yeah, there was now, a video market. What's what's the what's yeah exactly what's the market? You know, I yeah. mean, um, that's very true. I hadn't I, I don't really know, considered you know? that element. Yeah, no, because you're you're exactly and right I mean, because they they yeah. they released the the Donner cut, and yeah. it was a big deal in like, I remember we got a bunch of them for the new release wall at Emerald city because it was, that was a thing back then. And now like that just wouldn't exist. And you're right. It would be very much like they would have to price it up to like 40 bucks and sell it primarily to like the market who are demanding it. Yeah. And and, and unfortunately, unless something dramatically changes, because I mean like those things, the really good ones at least exist, whether it be criterion. I mean, right. may, I mean like it would be great. I mean, I think Watchmen, if, if the fucking rock, which is a great film, <laughs> if yeah. the rock deserves a criterion film, and that was an early criterion film when that meant mm-hmm. something. Yeah. Um, now it's kind of like, Oh, it's an old film. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know I mean? Like, or it's a, whatever it's an art film. Like, yeah. Okay. It's a criterion thing. Um, but like, this deserves this would deserve a a watchman thing like like in in so much as uh you know brazil has a watchman thing which would be yeah. a, a great fucking box set which would be like oh the theatrical cut the director's cut and then um you know something else the ultimate know? yeah yeah the ultimate you know or i, I, I was mixing ideas but justice yeah. league you know, like have those two cuts right um yeah. and you know i mean that would be that would almost make it worthwhile because that's something you can sell right. for 30, uh, 30, 40 bucks. But on the other hand, again, I mean, I, I right now, I think that there's this, the market for it, you know, right. It'll be interesting to see in five years when, um, by the time, the burn... yeah, exactly. By the, time, <laughs> by the time Warner brothers warms to the idea, there might not be yeah. a way to make yeah. money off of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Um, one last note, by the way, on the opening credits, just because as soon as his name popped up, it made me think of it. Uh, cinematographer Larry Fong, who is the director of photography in this movie and who worked on most of Snyder's movies, yeah, uh, corrected me on Twitter the other day because I misidentified him in a story as a still as the still photographer. Um, <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I wrote a story just... for Comic Book ages ago about him too. So. Yeah, it was just one of those. Uh, the, he wasn't even really like he wasn't he wasn't a poor sport about it. He just like yeah. sc- screen grabbed the the section where I referred to him as the as the onset photographer, and uh, <laughs> he tagged Clay Clay Enos, who is the onset photographer, and was like, "Sorry, bro, I got your job now." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He is an incredible so. fucking uh, cinematographer. No, absolutely. And, and it was really just a yeah. brain fart. It was just one of those. I was, you know. Oh, yeah. No, no. I'm just, you know, for people don't don't know, but he yeah, is. Yeah. Look up his work. He's one of those guys that, you know, you don't necessarily, if you're not into camera, you know, into the cinema, yeah, following exactly. that sort of thing. He's one of those guys you're like, holy fucking shit. Look at this guy's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look at his IMDb page, and you're like, "Oh my god, why, why don't I know his name?" <laughs> yeah, 
but yeah, uh, but he's like a legend within the industry also. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so it was just one of those, I was like, I'm really sorry, man. No, seriously, I, I'm not this big an idiot. <laughs> uh, before, one thing before, that, yeah, before we leave the uh, thing, and I don't know if you had another no, thing yeah. in the opening sequence. Um, so I'm really curious, um, and this is not necessarily a uh, difference between the two, you know, two versions of the film, right. but there's a, there's a, one of his slow motion scenes um, where somebody's throwing a Molotov cocktail into a, a bank of TVs behind a wall or behind a window. Uh-huh. Um, that's out of the fucking opening sequence of Brazil. Um, hmm. Like there's a, almost somebody literally dropped, like that's the opening like I don't, I forget whether it's the credits uh, like come yeah, out yeah. or the like the Brazil comes out of, out of that out of the explosion or what. But like that, it, it's not exact, but it's very interesting because like you're watching TV and it's telling yeah. you kind of what's happening. It, it, it I don't know if it's a trope because I feel like it's been done maybe a couple times and in, in one level or another. But it's it, knowing that Gillum was involved at some level in this in this film and yeah. I mean, I, Snyder has to be a Gillum fan. Um, there's no fucking way he's not. Um, to the point where, like, now I actually want to like try, try to shoot him an email or try to figure out his press people and just like, are you a fan of Gillum? Like, were you yeah. inspired by? Because it is one of those. It's like it's just that's a really, really famous scene from Brazil. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I'm curious on whether or not it's at least a minimum, you know, at least minimum inspired or not. But right. I mean, obviously, it's something that. I, I can imagine you completely coming up with that idea without actually ever watching Brazil, which again, I can't imagine that Snyder has not watched Brazil. Um, right, exactly. but, but it's one of those you can come up on upon yourself, but it's just an interesting thing that like, I literally was like, Oh my God, I don't remember that. Um, watching it, like making that connection, yeah. um, you know, back in 2009, which is, yeah. Anyway, it, but, yeah. it's funny. The note that I made on that same shot is, uh, there's a, there's a kind of storytelling efficiency in this in this movie that I, I occasionally I poke fun at it as I'm making my notes, but I do kind of appreciate it in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, the I mean, first of all, the opening credits is this giant data dump that's done in a stylized way so that you it it's not boring. Yeah. Uh, which is which is nice. Uh, it's kind of like when David Fincher was going to do uh, the Amazing Spider-Man for a minute. Mm-hmm. his pitch so that you didn't have to have the whole movie essentially retelling the Sam Raimi movie yeah. was to basically tell Spider-Man's origin in like animated titles yeah. and then just, well, I mean, this is, story. I mean, this is exactly what he did in Batman versus Superman. I mean, like right. this is how you find out Batman's parents were killed, which is right. amusing. And again, and again, <laughs> because there's, there's an element comedian, of, but. yeah, well, exactly. Well, and, and, uh, there's actually, uh, there's a at one point in this movie, Night Owl saves a couple in front of the opera, like a a, a well dressed couple in front of an opera house, <laughs> and so uh, like the old Night Owl in one of the flashback sequences. Yeah, uh, and 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 the only reason I know this is because I have seen people speculate in the past that that are some that somehow those are the Waynes. Yeah, and I'm just like, but no, because there's literally a Batman comic in the background <laughs> of one of the, the like shots of the Minutemen, yeah. you know, the, the 1950s Watchmen or whatever. Uh, so it was one of those silly things where you're like, people took it way to that extreme. I mean, I mean, you do have, I mean, there are Wolverine comics in the world of Logan. 
So, I mean, That's, it doesn't, yeah. <laughs> but on the other hand, if the parents are saved and then there wouldn't be a Batman. So it's right, all, right. anyway. <laughs> well, and the other thing is too, that, I mean, Unless the world, it was uh, a different couple being saved in yeah. front of an opera. <laughs> well, and I, I think it's, I think it's clearly an homage yes. to, it's like, we're going to use this visual shorthand of like, look, they saved Bruce's parents, but it's clearly not Bruce. Like, come on guys, don't take it that seriously. Uh, if, if for no other reason than because in universe, Hollis Mason decided to dress up in a costume because of Superman. Yeah. Like Hollis Mason in his autobiography talks about the effect of action comics. Number one. Uh, and so like, <laughs> that would be a weird snake eating its tail yeah. argument to get into. But, uh, there's a couple of weird little things that you kind of sit there and go like, wait a second. Would it really have taken us until 1969 to get to the moon? If we had Dr. Manhattan. Uh, good question. And Especially then, like, considering he's physically there when it happens, yeah, so, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> but then the uh, the other thing is the uh, the shot you were talking about with the Molotov cocktail, the TVs. Yeah. It's a real like, it's a real example of like their storytelling efficiency going on because it's it the, all the things that appear on screen together: Nixon's reelection, the term limit repeal, and the Keen Act are all on the screen are all on the screens at the same time. Yeah. And you're just sitting here going, there's there's no universe where those three seismic events all happen in the same day. And yeah. you know what I mean? I mean, so I mean, I mean, I mean, uh, have you been involved in the Donald Trump administration? Oh, that's fair. <laughs> I mean, think about any week. That's, <laughs> that's true. <different. laughs> We've all I aged mean, like 30 years since. Exactly. Since, yes. Yeah. yeah. Like covering. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, that that yeah. But the, in any event, it was just one of those things where I was like looking at it, looking at that shot, and going like, "Oh, that's really like efficient storytelling, and it's a clever way of doing this." And and it blah blah. But at the same time, you're like, "Wait, really? There's only three networks, and each one is covering a different major news story, two of which are overlapping because of the term. Like, if the term limits hadn't been repealed, <laughs> Nixon couldn't have like run." Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a news summary in case you missed the yeah, you know, yeah, massively yeah, exactly. big. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, that's, you know, it's like yeah, it's, yeah. it's more but efficient again, storytelling than, and, you know, having the newspapers flip by like exactly. they would in the, you know, movies in the 40s. Yeah. Um, I mean, and there's also an element of uh, you can see a lot of pragmatic choices in this movie. And I, I think that for the most part, the pragmatic choices that are made are, are good ones. Mm hmm. Uh, a good example is in the comics because Dr. Manhattan's been around for a while. Energy is different and like technology is different. The cigarettes that they have in the Watchmen comic have like a little bulb thing on them. Cause it's like an anti-cancer huh. something yeah. like it's the, it's device from thank you for smoking. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and you know, there's, there's what appeared by the way, by the way, by the way, did you know that Elon Musk uh, uh, produced that film? I didn't. Anyway. That's interesting. And, and Peter Thiel. Um, that's mm. not a bit. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, so just found that out uh, right after they sold PayPal. Uh, anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, um, what was I? Oh, uh, but. Technology's different. Yeah. Technology's a little different, including the cars all look a little different. Obviously, there's the airships. Yeah. Uh, but one of the things that you see in this movie is the cars do not look different. The cars just look like 1980s cars. And I feel like that was a decision made because it's like, look, we can spend an extra $5 million on a handful of cars that we then have to recycle over and over and over again, or we can just use cars from the eighties and it will look like the eighties and it will help us with the visual shorthand of the film. 
and it's not a super important thing. Like there's, there's no plot point that involves the cars being different. It's just that because Dave Gibbons was drawing stuff, he could, you know, draw cars that look different at no cost to him. I I feel like also, I mean, like I get a, I get a vibe that there's a, that there's a class social, social class, like kind of con concept going on with maybe not the cars themselves or something like that, but just the, there are certain things that have stayed the same and certain things that have advanced massively. Um, And the people who kind of have access to the things that have advanced massively are certain people. Um, yeah. And you know, the things, you know, like the cars, like who just like, I literally just need to get down the street. Like that, that haven't, hasn't really changed. Um, yeah. or hasn't evolved as quickly as, as it, you might consider it. Um, I mean, TV, you know, like, you know, you can look at TVs and, you know, and see how they, you know, the TVs that explode are traditional CRT, you know, or, right, uh, exactly. CRT or t- yeah, two CRT. TVs, you know? I mean, yeah. So it's, uh, I, I don't know if there if I'm always if I'm reading too much into that where there's you know, some difference there because uh, I mm-hmm. don't distinctly remember that in the comic book one way or the other, um, but yeah, I'm pretty sure that we had two because the comic book was very much like that. The comic book specifically had things that had advanced in weird ways and then other things that had not. And in fact, when you look at Doomsday Clock, when they head to the DC universe, which closely in terms of technology and things tends to mirror our own. Yeah. Uh, Ozymandias points out to Rorschach that uh, this world is so strange because in some ways they're way ahead of us. And in some ways they're far behind. Yeah. And so that like that, that, that was an inherent part of the technology of Watchmen. And so you're, you're not wrong, like picking up on that in the film. Um, I will say as much as I liked a lot of the pragmatic choices they made, there are a couple of choices that they made that didn't fly quite as well for me. Uh, one of the things is I really appreciated the degree to which he, he tried to stay very true to the comic and use a lot of the like iconic images from the comic. Uh, obviously the, the whole introduction uh, he added the whole fight scene, but the actual death of the comedian and things was pretty much panel for panel. Yeah. Uh, there's there's a shot where uh, when they're going to Happy Harry's the bar, where uh, Rorschach walks through a puddle and his foot is angled as he's walking like from right to left across the screen. His foot is angled at essentially eleven o'clock, which so that he creates a doomsday clock essentially with his foot when the puddle ripples out in the in, into a circle around it, yeah. and that's a thing that Gibbons used a lot in Watchmen and that, that they're using a lot in the Doomsday Clock sequel. And so there's a lot of little things like that you pick up. But then there's some other things that they worked because they were comics and in a live action movie they don't like there's there's some really clunky dialogue that he yeah. brings over from the comic and some of them don't always work. Uh there's a lot of things that have a real punch to them in the comic that when you hear actual people say them in real time, instead of seeing them like panel and panel, yeah. they don't work as well. Uh, some of the, I, I jotted down a handful of examples because some of them really bugged me. Uh, the, like the joke of uh, when or the, the, the observation when she's like, you know, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of laughs these days. And uh, Dryberg is like, well, what do you expect? The comedian's dead. <laughs> it's like that was, that was a a line that worked so much better in the comic. And part of it was that Patrick Wilson didn't give it a great line read. 
but I, I don't know that you could have really made it work as well in live action as it did on the page. Uh, See, it's funny. I actually, uh, I actually like that line. Um, even though obviously I remembered it or whatever, I think yeah, actually, yeah. I actually like tweeted that line out as I heard it <laughs> uh, because it like worked for yeah, these yeah. days. Um, but uh, like, yeah, no, I mean, I agree with the the line read. I mean, like one of the things I had a problem with is that the um, that uh, Doctor Manhattan's um, voiceover and monologue just. Mm-hmm didn't seem to have the weight that it needed to have, uh, which yeah. is crazy because I the everything, I mean, like that just seems like direction almost to me. Um, like there's not, there's not a world where Billy Crudup can't deliver right, those yeah. lines with the, the, he's a fucking fantastic actor. Um, and, uh, and so like that just seemed weird. And even to the point where it actually in this, and I, and again, I don't, distinctly remember how it was in the theatrical cut but like it almost seemed to not have the just technical audio Mm -hmm. weight to it like it just seemed like someone talking over the audio um to an extent which uh is and it doesn't and obviously it doesn't happen throughout the entire film but i mean like early on when you want when it seems to have to have some sort of weight and he's i mean he's fucking dr manhattan he's you know so like halfway through the film you kind of get used to it and you match the match the voice with the person right. but it almost doesn't seem like it i mean like it's just it's just curious because it's like i know billy crudup can deliver that line and can add yeah. the grab the weight that he needs to to be fucking dr manhattan like a, an, right. a literally physically an enormous character um but also still be the kind of delicate maybe not sensitive. I don't, I, I don't, I'm not quite sure yeah. what the right word is for it, but like to have the, you know, just calmness that he's supposed yeah. to have. Um, no, I, I, yeah, I know. It what you, it, yeah. And it was hit or miss. It worked a handful of times. Yeah. And it didn't yeah. Sometimes. Um, I, I will say probably the least convincing moment in any Zack Snyder movie ever made <laughs> is when uh, Sally Jupiter looks into the lens and says, I'm 67 years old. And it's like the line read wasn't great. The makeup wasn't great. And the fact that Carla Gugino is just staggeringly gorgeous. Like there's, you have to, you would have to spend a lot more time in the makeup chair to make her look 67 years old. Yeah. This is, you know, 10 years on and she's probably 50 now. And she still doesn't look anything remotely close to 67 years. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, so you get, you get some of those oddball, like, isn't there, isn't there some implication? I mean, like the, that they're not aging though. I mean, like I feel like she's not supposed to look 67. No, I mean, she's Am I wrong. I mean, it's been so long since I read the, uh, read the, the no, I mean, uh, definitely, definitely. They're all like everybody. That's kind of the whole thing here is that you had theoretically it's costume superheroes, but there's nobody who's actually super except for Dr. Manhattan. Yeah. Like these are all just people. Uh, so, which I mean, then, I mean, comics, yeah, I mean, because it's like by, by the time that, you know, the comedian dies, I mean, he should be, fucking hell how old like 70 or something and no i mean because this is ni- this happened in 1984 i think 84 and so it, it he would have been okay so he's yeah he, he would when he was a teenager when he when he was a teenager in the 50s when he became a, the comedian so he's yeah. probably in his i guess it's the reverse then that doesn't work as well that that they're he's not looking as young as he should be yeah when yeah he, 
Well, and part of it too is that the comedian was the youngest of them. And so when you look at the guy who played Hollis Mason, he clearly is like 60 plus. And that's the ballpark that all of the like Minutemen were supposed to be in, except for Eddie. Eddie was a few years younger. uh, And that was, that was like a thing because they, that's how he ended up in like going to Vietnam when the rest of them didn't, aside from the fact that he became a spook. But, uh, but yeah, so there there were some bits, and another one that I have here in my notes is, uh, and this one like just bugged me because it's one of my favorite. Like, there's a great emotional weight to it in the comic that doesn't carry over to the film as well. When is when Dryberg says to Rorschach, "Those were great times. What happened?" And Rorschach's just like, "You quit," and walks away. And Dan sits there looking sad. Uh, in the comics, because of the nature of the medium. Dan sitting there looking dejected can really work in a way that on live action, it's like, wait, are you just, oh. <laughs> why are you just sitting there sulking? <laughs> People don't do that. Yeah. 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 Uh, and again, like that's, that, that's really, it's only a fault in the sense that Snyder could have chosen to bring that over less literally. And I think he wanted the beat from the comic and just sometimes doesn't realize that like, you can't translate those beats one-to-one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a few uh oh sorry yeah no no go ahead this is a couple of minor casting notes because i thought they were interesting is uh matt frewer who mm-hmm. played moloch is uh i can't remember his character name from dawn of the dead but he was the father of lindy booth's character the guy who came into the mall and had already been bitten and who had to be put to essentially put to death yeah and then uh the scientist, and I never got this guy's name, but the scientist who finds Manhattan on Mars, the guy who rushes in to talk to Nixon and Kissinger yeah. and says, we, we found him, we found him. Uh, is He was actually, he played Emil Hamilton from Star Labs on Smallville. <laughs> and then he had a minor role on Man of Steel, which I always remember being kind of funny because he was a like a scientist for the military who actually ended up working with Richard Schiff's character, Richard Schiff's character being Emil Hamilton. So the dude who played Emil Hamilton on Smallville got to share screen time with Emil Hamilton and Man of Steel. <laughs> Again, I mean, this is always, it's always fascinating when you actually start looking at these and start going, why is it that like, like, I mean, fucking Jeffrey D- Dean Morgan, how many fucking comic book movies? Watchmen, Losers, um, Walking Dead, uh, Batman versus Superman. Yeah. <laughs> like, did it again i mean it's just like there's there like there's there like a book of just like a hundred actors and you're like well uh he hasn't been in the dc universe so we can pull him over oh well yeah. that character died in the screen so we can make him a again i mean like fucking hell josh brolin <laughs> yeah, right <laughs> because there's only three there's only three people that with his physical <laughs> yeah apparently yeah right Leaving aside the fact that his physical appearance is nothing like either Cable or Thanos. <laughs> exactly. Or, oh my God, what fucking, what was that terrible movie? Um, oh, well, he was in Sin City 2. Oh, oh, yeah, Jonah Hacks, you mean. Yes, exactly, yeah. <laughs> when I said terrible movie, I didn't mean just, you know. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, the... Uh, I actually, one of the things you talked a little bit about how Manhattan generally worked. I do think in terms of coloring and composition, he was jarring in a lot of the shots, but I think it was an intentional jarring mm-hmm. to give him like an otherworldly feel. Yeah. 
And yeah, I mean, he has, I mean, literally has glow, like when they're taking a photo and everything like that, like it's, right. it's always interesting to see because he literally has a glow about him. Um, that's affecting the other people. It's not just like everywhere. Yeah. Like he has his own lighting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, but I, I like it because it also, it gives you this sense of, uh, like this is literally exactly the kind of thing that they generally try to avoid with VFX characters. Yeah. But they kept it in here because it, it thematically works for the movie and the way that he was isolated from the rest of the world. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, the interaction is, is, is certainly different. And again, like I think it, it again, especially for 2009, like it really, it really works. Um, yeah. In a way, because he's not, He's not like invisible. He's not like a, a completely CG character. He's a human. He's a human being and often wears right. clothes. Um, and even when like, especially that crowd shot when he's on TV, like it still works. Um, right. <coughs> um, I, one yeah, thing, by the way, that's worth mentioning just because I find it interesting. Uh, this movie was shot in Vancouver and uh, they, they reused a lot of these like, first of all, the sets that they built for Watchmen are still in use, like the New York City sets. Yeah. Uh, it's been in just tons and tons of stuff. They just redress it and, and move on. Right now, the, like, couple of blocks of New York that they use for Watchmen is the town of Asheville in, um, uh, shucks, it's a pilot coming up for the CW, uh, Life Sentence. And so, like, I actually visited the set of this this TV show, and I brought my Rorschach's journal that they gave me at a Doomsday <laughs> Clock event with me, and took some photos of myself in the like city block from Watchmen reading Rorschach's journal. Yeah. But uh, uh, the the more interesting one that I was interested in was that there's a uh, there's a shot in that like hospital cafeteria when Doctor Manhattan first shows up. And he's like hovering in the air and Janie and Wally are there. And that shot, as far as I can tell, is actually from that. It's, it's from that asylum, the, the like disused mental hospital in Vancouver where uh, like psych, the musical took place. And it was the (laughs) the nunnery uh, where they sent Betty Cooper's sister to go have her baby in Riverdale and it's been in episodes <laughs> of the X-Files and Arrow and basically like you name anything that shoots in Vancouver and they used it at some point. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the most common like shooting locations in Vancouver. And as far as I know, they actually, uh, there's they a are... very good chance that it was also used for a sucker punch too. Um, because that very also probably. was filmed in Vancouver. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as far as I know, though, it's actually no longer going to be used for production because my understanding is that they are act like the, the government uh, has run out of space for like actual mental health stuff. Mm-hmm. And so they're <laughs> essentially taking this back because it's government land that they've just been allowing people to shoot on. And apparently they're, they're like fixing up the, premises and making it a mental hospital again god i hope so because <laughs> it's uh, always <laughs> it's like but, arkham uh, we're like oh yeah. oh we have a we have this facility that you you've seen a thousand times in films and tv uh yeah. play arkham asylum but we're gonna bring uh, everyone back to that one because uh yeah <laughs> yeah or like the fact that uh lex luthor's mansion in smallville was literally the same mansion with almost no change in furniture yeah. 
that they used for uh, Oliver Queen's house in the first season of Arrow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know, I mean, people buy uh, houses from each other all the time. So That's true. That's true. <laughs> and they're in the uh, same universe, technically. Kind yeah. of, sort of. <laughs> I guess, I mean, technically, I guess it's like Earth 38 would be where Lex, is, where Lex lived. But anyway. Yeah. I mean, I just uh, meant DC in general. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> um, Don't get all technical on this. Uh, I'm trying to think of what other kind of things <laughs> I really wanted to touch touch on. Uh, oh, one thing that's interesting in terms of, I mean, the politics of Rorschach are going to yeah. be their own episode, but I, the idea that as soon as all this starts, Rorschach immediately starts fantasizing that Laurie like manipulated Dr. Manhattan into exile. Yeah. And it just, it feels like this perfect metaphor for the way that right wingers like him tend to think about women in real life. Oh Yeah. Yeah. He's I mean he's uh he's such a fascinating character because he's he's a right winger. He's kind of a li- this like freaky li- libertarian probably. He'd be a sovereign citizen basically. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but on the other hand he still cares about people. Like there's yeah. definitely, you know, and and if nothing else there's a there definitely is a purity to his to all of his shit, which is yeah. the one thing that you have to, even though you hate him, like he's not Rand Paul, you know, right? <laughs> like, yeah, literally standing on standing on the you know in the uh, you know in the on the floor of uh, the Congress, decrying you know three hundred thousand dollars in government waste of research yeah. into this thing, and then being like, okay, okay, well, I'll vote for the defense budget of forty, you know, sixty eight billion dollars. Sure, okay, yeah, um, <laughs> you know. yeah and I mean. It's interesting to look at uh, Rorschach and Dryberg because this whole story is kind of like a tragic arc for Dryberg in the sense that he starts out as this wide-eyed idealist. When he's talking to Laurie towards the beginning of the movie, it's very much, you know, she asks him why, like, why did we ever do this? And her answer is basically that she got pressured into it by her mom because her mom had done it in the 50s. But with Dan, he's just like, well, nobody else is going to. It's like he literally like his reason for doing it is because he wanted to make a difference. And, you know, and by the time you get to the end, he is willing to go along with Adrian's plot because he's a person who lives in the world and he recognizes that there's nothing he can do about it. So he might as well compromise. Yeah. Whereas, uh, you know, Rorschach is incapable of compromise. And so Rorschach would rather die doing the right thing mm-hmm. than uh, then live knowing that Adrian did, you know, did this and that he didn't do anything to try to stop it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it should be noted. Rorschach also basically forces him to do that. It doesn't, he doesn't back right. away from it or doesn't give any thing, which is, which is its own thing. And yeah, no, he's, he's a surprising. I don't remember liking his character. Or maybe not liking is the wrong word. Um, you know, well, no, I mean, liking, I mean, he's, he's a, he's a great, you know, he's, he's a lot more of the, I guess there's like smart average man, yeah. you know, whatever. He's not Batman. He's not a billionaire, which is also something very interesting in, in, in this world is the fact mm-hmm. that um, outside of Vite, like you don't have any, you don't have the Batmans, you don't have the Iron Man, you don't have that like sort of thing. I These mean, people you do are have really- with, with with Dan because he was like, yeah, I got a bunch of money from my dad when he died, and I spent it all on superhero stuff. But I mean, but like he lives in a 
<laughs> you know, like, yeah. oh yeah. I mean, obviously, everything has this like yellow cast to it because yeah. it's a you know, it, it's it's uh, you know a film uh, by uh, Zack Snyder, um, but <laughs> it has to have some heavy filter on it, otherwise, yeah. it's not a Zack Snyder film. Um, but uh, which would be very interesting upon itself, just to be like, just a challenge to him if you're a producer. You're like, no, shoot no it. Just, just shoot, shoot it like uh, like Ron Howard. No, shoot it. Yeah, I mean, like, shoot it for real world. Yeah. Like, you have a film stock. That's what you get to use. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, there's no After Effects. There's no filters. There's no colors. That's how you shoot it. Yeah. <laughs> Go. Um, <clears throat> but uh, it's uh, it's interesting because, like, everybody lives in these, you know, just paper apartments that we've all, at one point in our lives, lived in, you know. Yeah. Um, at least in the journalism world yeah. um we all live lived in maybe not people with more successful lives but uh <laughs> <laughs> we've all you know and it, and it's and it's and it's a world that uh you know i mean especially for him there's there's kind of this it's kind of ama- not amazing but amazing is not the right word most certainly but like really really heartwarming sadness to him mm-hmm. right off the bat you meet him yeah. And he does that because I mean, like the one the one note that I like that I actually made that like the casting is just that's this is one thing I think that Snyder is fucking spectacular at, mm-hmm. and obviously he has a casting director, so whoever his right. casting directors are are really the people, but he makes the final decision. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. I there's very rarely outside of I mean, like I'm sorry, Ben Affleck. Um, his Batman, but I doubt that. I really doubt that that was in his decision making wheelhouse. I feel like that that was a decision that was high above his head. Um, I, 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 I will say, as much as I really like her, I, I feel like Malin Ackerman didn't didn't deliver in this movie the way that I would have liked her to. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I mean, she was she's supposed to be kind of like pretty and not, not too bright. Yeah. But that was like, I don't know. It didn't quite work for me. Like she, she feels like a comic actress, you know, she's done some really great stuff on sitcoms and things like that. But I, I kind of felt like in this movie, she was the only actor not bringing the a game in most of the scenes that she was in. Yeah. I mean, I'd say, I'd, I mean like personally, I don't actually, I hate to say it because I like her a lot in this film. She's actually, I forgot, yeah, that's actually where I recognize her from, is the Bang Bang Club. And uh, she's the one, I fucking hate her in that film. <laughs> I like her as an actress, but I hate her in that film. Like, right, I just, no, I understand. <laughs> uh, I'm like always concerned. I'm like, this poor person's going to listen to this. and be like, no, no, you don't have to understand. Like, um, yeah. I actually really like you as an actress. It's just you were wrongly cast in this film. I'm right, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> did you did your job by far but it just didn't work in this film yeah. um but uh um but i i don't know i mean like i i kind of got it i i think she worked in this film i mean maybe she could have been better a little bit but like i mean like i would be like a b plus right. performance yeah, um, I mean, again, I didn't like versus like an her, a. I just yeah like, no yeah. i mean just i mean we're talking about like five point difference yeah. if it's a gp you know if it's a gpa or whatever yeah. or point point five or whatever um because i mean like i think that i think that you know whether it be in i, I think that she plays her she plays her mother's daughter really well in this film mm-hmm. um she plays you know she, like that not only physically reads um right. but also just 
because a lot of this is kind of playing the same, you know, it's like cycles. I mean, this is what, this is something that this film does well. And, you know, all superhero films are, especially ones where you have either superheroes who are passed through generation, like father to son or whatever, Mm -hmm. or just, you know, you have the sort of Batman with the perpetual Robins um, or tropes that go through. And this is something that this, you know, this film does and, and like what she's, what she's living through. And I, I don't know. I think she does that well. I mean, I think she does it well as almost anybody in the film. Um, and, but, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, maybe a little bit better, but not, but I also don't think that she's, she's given, I don't think that she's given the lines that, no, I mean, and, and the going back to the comic, in the film, really. but yeah. exactly. That goes yeah. back to the comic. Um, I will say just talking about the tropes, uh, yeah. one of the things I definitely wanted to touch on before we wrap up is, uh, you know, we talked about superhero movies were not as common or as nuanced and generally not as good then as they are now when Watchmen came out. And so deconstructing the genre was really hard. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think the fact that Snyder clearly loves superheroes made the translation kind of harder still, you know, when, when you see them return to their superheroics prior to the hallelujah sex sequence, uh, it was depicted as pretty unquestionably a positive thing. Yeah. Uh, And, and that's a weird, like it, I understand why, but it didn't have any of the deconstructionist elements of the comic. It didn't have any of the like critiques of superhero books that were prevalent in almost every scene of the comic. Um, you know, the fact that, yeah, Rorschach refers to Dryberg as a flabby failure, but he still looks like okay. a Hollywood leading man. Yeah. Uh, and, and so it seems that the way Snyder decided to undercut the kind of epicness of these scenes was to go the other way and to have them fighting essentially regular people who go down easily and meet gruesome fates and don't make them seem particularly heroic in the doing of it, Yeah, which definitely works, but it's, it's a weird kind of slide to one side from, from the source material that I thought was worth mentioning. Yeah. Uh, And of course, everybody in the history of film commentary has already commented on this, but (laughs) shooting fire into the sky at the moment of climax is exactly as subtle as a Zack Snyder film. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's also as subtle as a comic book, you know, I mean, that's, I mean, that's one thing that I think that the one, one of the things that uh, um, I think that Marvel gets right and DC gets wrong is that forgetting that it's a comic book, that it's, that it's a comic book world. Um, And I like, you know, I, you can go back through and every single time we've talked about a DC film and going, I love the darkness and I love the seriousness, yeah. but also like, I also love the, you know, I, I wish they were delivered better, yeah. mind you, but like the, like, I thought she was with you sort of, you know, lines from Batman right. versus Superman, you know, things like that. Like, again, like it didn't make sense. <laughs> you know, yeah. we, I think we talked for like 10 minutes on that one where we were like, what the fuck? Like they knew each other. Like why would yeah. he say that? And he didn't say it like it was a joke, but, but like, I think that you need to have that and you really need to realize that it's, you know, the comic world. I think right. that within the scene, I think that that like, especially considering they went to the wide shot and they went to like the two, like, I don't know whether they were like garbage men or whatever, like the guys who were just standing in the no, street. Let's, actually, like, that's a, those people I, I kind of want to talk about oh, a okay. little bit um, <laughs> because it, it, well, it plays into the, the, the director's cut of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure if I'm thinking back that it was the news vendor and the kid oh, okay. who reads the comic. 
And of course, in the Watchmen comics, those characters recur throughout and they are tied to the Tales from the Black Freighter thing that I talked about before. Oh, okay. And the, you see them, I think, once in the theatrical cut, which is the very end when you see the two, like, essentially hugging hugging to huddle against the oncoming wave of death. Oh, okay. Um, and in the context of the comic, that was planted throughout because the, the news vendor really hates this kid just sitting there and reading his comics and <laughs> is constant like he doesn't like kick him out or anything, but he's constantly like antagonizing him and don't you have anything better to do kid? And what the fuck are you doing reading comics anyway? And yeah. blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And so when you go to the, like the, the concept of planting and payoff throughout Watchmen, the comic, they planted the seeds of eventually paying off these two having this tender moment together at the end. Whereas in the Watchmen movie, uh, I mean, in in the theatrical cut, you basically could have just not spotted them at all and not realized that they were a thing, and so it wouldn't have it wouldn't have stuck out as much. But in the director's cut, you don't have the Tales from the Black Freighter sequence, and so you don't have you're not going back to them all the time. But they do show up, like I think four times in the director's cut, and so at a certain point, you're like, clearly, I'm supposed to notice these two. What's going on here? And so it's like Zack Snyder paid off something that he didn't bother to plant in the first place, which was kind of a weird, it was one of the few things that I thought like, you didn't need that in the director's cut. Like you didn't yeah, need so more. Of those. Like I only read that as like, just because the paper, the, that was a, an important thing of, you know, him, uh, of uh, Rorschach's connection with that newspaper. Right. And, yeah. The new and, it was just, and also in general, like it's such a fucking, not only comic book trope, but older comic book yeah. movie thing, like even into the Spider-Man, you yeah. know, the um, uh, Sam Raimi Spider-Man films and everything like that. Like mm-hmm. back when, you know, yeah. <laughs> now that, you know, now that we have a Spider-Man that doesn't actually do any of that shit, yeah. um, you know, like being a photographer or being anything else that has to do with Spider-Man. But anyway, um, <laughs> just, uh, I, I, I will say too, just, right just now, looking I, at the, <laughs> the new Spider-Man. Um, okay. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, <laughs> one other thing, and this is not like a flaw of Snyder's at all, uh, but but it's it's understandable. Part kind of, if I was looking at this in a daily, I probably would have cut it too. Um, the sequence where you see the kid actually reading a Tales from the Black Freighter comic, mm-hmm. uh, which is only like three seconds on screen. Yeah, but it was nice to see as a comic book fan who like, again, I, I liked those characters and I liked that subplot from the comic and blah, 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 blah. And like, even though it's not the Snyder cut, like I kind of prefer the ultimate cut because like, it's as close as you're ever going to get to a one-to-one translation of Watchmen as a feature film. Yeah. But that said, uh, when you look at the art in that comic, it's mm-hmm. literally just screen grabs from the animated movie. <laughs> Which means that it's totally and like anachronistic and makes no sense. They did not have that kind of computer coloring in the eighties. Yeah, and you yeah. can't even say that it was a byproduct of like Doctor Manhattan diverting our technology or whatever, because yeah. we've seen the computers in Adrian's office yeah. and we know that they don't have that kind of computer coloring yeah, in yeah, the eighties. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, it, as like, if I'm Zack Snyder, I would have cut all of the anything that had the tales from the black freighter on screen i would have cut it too or um, or get up go back and 
have a prop person get, do a better job. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> like and actually like just at least, you know, have somebody sketch a cover or something. <laughs> no, the, the cover, that's the funny thing. The cover looks essentially exactly like it did in the cover. Oh, really? <laughs> so the shot that's like from the curb shooting yeah. up at the kid is fine. It's really just, there's a moment when uh, the news vendor is talking to the guy from the New Frontiersman and it like goes over the kid's shoulder and you see a shot of the art on the page of the comic. And that's the only part where you're just like, that's not right. Okay. <laughs> um, okay I'm just going to hold you there and go, okay, take a breath. <laughs> Cause I remember the cover. I remember that scene. Yeah. But I don't, yeah, no, I know. But I mean, I, I get what you're saying, but it's yeah. like, and that's, I mean, and that's, you know, I mean, that's something I always, you know, I think that one thing that, I kind of I think endears me, even though overall Zack Snyder wouldn't necessarily be one of my like even top Favorite. fifteen. Yeah. yeah, I mean even top fifteen directors um, is the fact that, and and I don't know whether this is like the Gillum effect, which it's like because he's such a con- he's kind of ends up being this weirdly controversial director, yeah, which yeah. Is like fuck is he a controversial director yeah um, of course then i literally just wrote a piece for comicbook.com earlier today which was like how the fuck is black panther a controversial film yeah like right. why is this even a debate but oh yeah i forgot it's 2018 and yeah. this has to be controversial because god fucking forbid but uh but that's that's we'll we'll deal with that next yeah. week we'll go see black panther um, that that'll be a long ass fucking yeah. uh, drive we'll have to be doing i have to get a full tank of gas well if you do like the seven week. o'clock screenings <laughs> yeah <laughs> just drive around in loops around your neighborhood uh because we always do it you know live from yeah. the from the car <laughs> but <laughs> but uh um, one thing I really like about him because mm-hmm. I'm a really big fan of having different versions of films. Mm-hmm. Um, I fucking love if there's a film that I like, I'm down for seeing six different versions. Yeah, no, same here. Like, I'm, there's I'm, no, I, I find there's no reason not to, especially th- this day and age. You don't have to fucking, you know, turn on a steam back and like fucking yeah. edit the film and then do a print. If it's digitized, then. Hey, hey if, yeah. if there's a financial justification, if we can figure out a way to like financially break even on yeah. it, give us fucking four versions. Yeah. I really like, I, you know, I mean, really... like, go back to Brazil. Like, I uh, fucking love, I actually like the Love Conquers All version. I also really fucking, I, but I more so love Terry Gillum's actual cut of it, you know, right. in so much as this, where it's, it's like, I like seeing. I like seeing if the director, because I get it. I get why Justice, Le- why Warner Brothers said to Justice League, yeah. be like, okay, seriously, guys, we're trying to cut back, like, keep it under two hours. On the other hand, you watch that film and you're like, this film needs to be two hours 20. Like, there's yeah. no fucking doubt. No, totally. And there's no fucking doubt that there's footage there, especially now that we've seen, like, the I think just scenes, today, or, kinda, yeah. the del- there's like three minutes, of, there's like a very minimum amount yeah. of deleted scenes, and you're like, Oh, that's I, re- I vaguely remember where those scenes would be. Yeah, and you're like, well, yeah. no shit, that makes fucking sense. And you're like, yeah. really? You couldn't make it two fifteen or two ten yeah. or two ten? Like, I mean, there's fucking rom coms now over two hours. Yeah, you know, I mean, which is like, I mean, personally, again, for me, I'm paying thirteen dollars uh, for a ticket. I'm fine <laughs> with over two hours. Yeah. I know American audiences necessarily might not be, but you know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, 
a couple of quick things before we wrap up because we should at some point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there there are some things that were in the Snyder Cut here that uh, I just kind of wanted to call attention to because mm-hmm. they're interesting decisions. Uh, one thing, uh, it's not bad, but it is kind of depressing and it feels almost unnecessary unless you're really looking at it from the tragic arc of Dan Dryberg, like I was talking earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the theatrical cut, it was not explicit that the reason the not tops killed Hollis was because of Dan's actions in breaking, uh, breaking Rorschach out of jail. Yeah. And so you don't actually get character development on that because Dan never finds that out, but it's, it's one of those things that like, as an audience, you know, that his like Mm well-intentioned superhero return is the thing that's responsible for his friend and mentor's death. And that's kind of like a downer. And again, it's not a bad decision, but I, I kind of would prefer that either they omitted it or they gave Dan some growth as a result of it. Like having the audience know and him not know is kind of the perfect, like, wow, that's depressing for depressing sake. Um, yeah, no, I don't think that it's, I, 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 I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'd be down for it. Um, but I think that, I think that having at least one or two times where, um, especially a superhero, but any any character in any film um, has to deal with the consequences of their actions without mm-hmm. knowing that it's the direct effect. Right. Because I mean, I, I kind of you know like, I, 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 especially with superhero stuff, um, I get a little tired of the, oh my god, you know the the Spider Man, you know the sp- continually Spider Man dealing with the fact that well if I if I help save people, then maybe the villains are going to come after Mary Jane or yeah. whoever, like that sort of thing. Like, yeah. I like the fact I actually, that, yeah. A, th- a thing that they mention in here, and I think it comes from the comic. I'm not hundred percent positive, but um, mm-hmm. they talk about the idea. Oh no, it definitely comes from the comic. But anyway, they talk about the fact that uh, the reason Hollis Mason first became night owl is tied to the fact that there were these, these crooks with masks who are getting off on technicalities. And I kind of love that because it's an inversion of, you know, the, this is the year after the dark Knight, and the dark Knight had raised that whole thing of like, well, do villains only exist because Batman exists? Yeah. And, you know, therefore is it the fault of the superhero that these people are in danger at all? Yeah. And so I, I, I hate that. Like I, I understand exploring that question, but I don't think anybody's ever explored it particularly well. And it tends to lend itself to the same kind of storytelling over and over again. Yeah. And yeah. so uh, the fact that Watchmen has an explicit inversion of that question is something that I actually really liked. Yeah. And it's something that, again, it's not particularly important to the plot, but it was a nice bit of like, oh, look, you know, the reason we're here is because the bad guys were already escalating and we responded. Yeah. I mean, and that's, I mean, you know, I mean, with the, with, you know, compared to Nolan films or whatever, it's mm-hmm. like you bring a, you bring a, you, you bring a knife, they're going to bring a gun, you bring a gun, yeah. they're going to bring a whatever, a bazooka or something like that, which right. is always going to be the Superman, which is always going to be the, you know, comic book mantra. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, on the other hand, if I don't show up at all, they'll still bring a fucking gun and still shoot, right. know, <laughs> shoot people. Yeah. So, um, which is something that I wish that, something that I wish that all, like, which is why I like this film, but uh, what, something I wish that all fucking the beginning aspects of every single fucking character ve- development, I wish would fucking get over quicker. I mean, yeah. again, I mean, like Spider-Man always bothers me with that because 
we've had, I, I you know, people obsess over the, oh my God, how many times do we have to tell the opening story, the opening story yeah. of Batman? Talk to me about fucking Spider-Man, <laughs> which is yeah. my favorite, my favorite superhero character, uh, sort of comic book character. Um, and, and how many fucking times do we have to have him learning, not even Uncle Ben dying, but how many times do we have to have him learning about, you know, oh, if I beat up this, beat up this bad guy, then the rest of his crew is going to come after me and, you know, escalation of how all these things happen. Um, but, uh, I, that's, that's kind of goes back to the not knowing about the consequences um mm-hmm. of his actions which is something that i kind of like in this and it's yeah. like a little thing that's like i didn't even think about it until you brought up but right, like, right. just the fact that no he just has to deal with the consequences even though he doesn't know that they're from his actions mm-hmm. um because i mean like that's kind of how life works for a lot of things that's true. like you literally could you know it's again it's i mean not to go like co- completely crazy but it's like it's the butterfly effect. You know, this is like you bump into somebody's car and they're in a bad mood and they punch somebody out. That's your neighbor. And then you have to deal with that later on or something. I don't know what, right. uh, It's just, it's just, it's life and it happens. Um, which is something that I think that, you know, again, this being a three hour long film and Mm -hmm. dealing so well, I mean, it's surprising because you, I think that the, I think that the comparison, It'd be really great if we were to do a, uh, maybe when the DVD comes out of uh, Justice League, we should do a Mm -hmm. kind of a a comparison um, of uh, Justice League and Watchmen because just two films that deal with so many characters. Yeah. That, because I mean, Marvel can, Marvel just gets away with it because it's Marvel and they don't deal with, you know, such crazy things as plot and character development and, uh, (laughs) and anything else it's just like action explosion which is awesome i fucking love right, them right. and i'll go no. see them three times in the theaters because it's big and awesome but dc films for the most part try to deal with that um which is i think everyone's biggest problem with dc films yeah. is that they're not action explosions i don't know who this yeah, character yeah. is but it's awesome he's got like Whoa. fingers for knives and he's covered in black <laughs> and, oh it's cool <laughs> well, it's actually, you know. one of the one of the really funny things uh, and this movie speaks to it is is yeah. there were a lot of people who were like well you know the justice league didn't work because you needed solo movies for all when i'm just like that that no you don't need you don't need a solo movie for every character in a justice league yeah. film like when you look at Watchmen in the span yeah, of these three hours they introduced 13 characters we didn't know any of them beforehand at least like with justice league, there's only six of them and we knew three of them going in. Yeah. Uh, and then, and, and even like my kids recently have started watching PJ masks, which is a like superhero <laughs> show for five-year-olds yes. yep. about five-year-old superheroes. And I, I watched the first episode the other day and I realized like, Oh, there's no origin story for the PJ masks. Like, <laughs> so if you're telling me that a PG 13 audience can not walk into justice league and understand what's going on, yeah. What you're telling me is that the the audience for a PG-13 rated feature film is less capable of learning on the fly than the toddlers to whom PJ Masks is marketed. Yeah. And, <laughs> so, although that although that third episode when uh, the PJ Masks goes into the to go to the backstory and find out about how their parents died is really fucking dark. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I kind of want to make that. <laughs> um, right, <laughs> like, wait, you're 
sorry, Callie comes home after two days being gone. And you're like, wait, R- Russ, what did you do while I was gone? And you're like, well, I got, I've got 600 pages of PJ Masks fan scripts going. They're <laughs> <laughs> like, they get really dark, but, you know, uh, Zack Snyder's optioned them for. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh... <laughs> sorry, I'm finding that more funny than I should. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, uh, as long as we're talking about as long as we're talking about darkness and and and, and Zack Snyder, uh, one one note that I have here, which is not really related to anything, and it's not a particularly serious conversation, but it, <laughs> yeah, uh, it, because we just watched Dawn of the Dead. Jesus, what is Zack Snyder's thing with people being dismembered by saws? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he really enjoys it. Um, uh, <laughs> which I'm not uh, saying that's wrong, but uh, but it it's a little bit more random when you're not yeah, doing any yeah, zombies. Yeah. I think um, this one yeah. this one was at least less gruesome. Like yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot more blood actually. Surprisingly, with it, but yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a lot more blood. But, but it's it more effective. Looked, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and then kind of the last thing that I wanted to talk about before we <laughs> kind of wrap up is uh, the the very the end. Uh, because I hate, I actually like the changes to Ozymandias' plan from a practical perspective, because blaming Dr. Manhattan and having these things happen around the world is probably a lot more effective at creating a longer term peace than having it happen only in New York and blaming aliens, uh, yeah. which is what it did in the comic. Yeah. And in fact, in Doomsday Clock, which is a direct sequel to Watchmen, he's eventually found out because of Rorschach's journal. Mm-hmm. And he goes to the DC universe to seek out Dr. Manhattan, who's essentially chilling there yeah. uh, to try and fix things because the world is once again on the brink of war. And when Ozymandias explains the situation to Lex Luthor, Lex Luthor just mocks him. He's just like, wait, this is what you did and you expected it to be a lasting peace. And now you're surprised when, when people found you out. Yeah. If you're the smartest person on the planet, I hate, I would hate to meet the dumbest on your world. <laughs> uh, and I was just like, yeah, that that that's fair. Um, so at least like the, the version in the movie, it has a little bit more internal story logic, even if it's a little bit less sexy. Yeah. Uh, the one thing that really bothers me, just just because I don't know why they changed it, is the change. There's a few little changes to Ozymandias' speech that irk me. Uh, there's there's a change in the di- like originally in the comic, it was. I'm not a Republic serial villain or something like that. And they made it a comic book villain here. And I'm like, okay, whatever. It's a kind of a tongue in cheek. This is a comic book movie. Fine. Yeah. Um, but the thing that really grinds my gears is <laughs> when, when Dan says, we're not going to let you do this. Uh, and he's like, do this. I'm not a comic book villain. I, I triggered it 35 minutes ago. And it just doesn't roll off the top. Like in the comic, it's literally do this. I did it 35 minutes ago and it just rolls off the tongue in such a better way. And I don't understand why it needed to be changed. Yeah. And it's such a weird, small nitpick, but every time I watch the movie, it just drives me crazy. Cause I'm like, why did you do that? Like, that's a line that did not need to be changed. Yeah. And yeah, it's just, again, uh, by and large, I thought that the director's cut, uh, improves the film and i think that snyder did an excellent job of adapting the film in general but that was like a decision made by snyder where i'm just like i don't understand why it was made and it makes the scene less effective 
And even though it's a teeny tiny thing, I kind of wanted to end on that note just because I'm like, why? And <laughs> it's the end of the movie and it's, you know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I, I, I think if nothing else with this, with this film shows, if you look at, if you look at this, if you look at 300, mm-hmm. if you look at, you think about his best films, um, mm-hmm. they're from a, if, uh, best adapted films, obviously. Right. They're from a closed source material. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, things like, you know, I mean, I know we, we both l- like Batman versus Superman, um, which was at least a little bit, I mean, it's like a couple books maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, like once you get into the world of Justice League where they pulled in like a random ass amount of shit. Um, well, and even, no... even in Batman Superman, I would say that one of the things that you see is that they spent a lot of time like there's it's been out for three years or whatever it's been. And like, there's still stories that come out all the time about somebody who found a new Easter egg. There's so much buried in there that at times it feels like, okay, any poor decision that was made, any error in judgment that was made, was that made because you were spending so much time getting cute with the world building? Yeah. Uh, And, and, you know, again, I, I like the rich world building and I like the film, but I think that because there was so much to choose from, yeah. they 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 tried to put throw the kitchen sink in. Yeah, yeah. And so it, I, I, and, I and think, so to me, it's very interesting on whether or not that means that. And this is like kind of the studio stuff that you'll never really know mm-hmm. about. Is that again because you know? I mean, like I've, I've said this before, talked about Scorsese films and those sort of thing. Like I think Scorsese mm-hmm. films are better when he had a low budget and he had a construction on him. Like there's only so much you can do in taxi driver, you know what I mean? Like, and so you finally get to, you know, you get to all of his successful, more unsuccessful films and you're, and basically I can't imagine a studio ever saying no to him because they're right. At a certain point, either they become just, well, they're award bait or their prestige picture that, yeah, I don't care if I make all my money back on we did that film. Um, and so as time goes on and then things kind of change with Snyder and you're like, well, 300 had a very limited book. I mean, you look at the source material right. and you're like, how the fuck did you pull a movie out of this? Yeah, um, yeah, right. You know, and, and it's, you know, it is, the film is what it is, but I think that you kind of have to say it's spectacular in some level. I mean, it's. Oh Yeah. I mean, whether or not you like it or not, I think that's one of those films like you can hate, but you can accept and go, well, that's, 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 yeah. a fil- that's, it, it is what it is. It is what it's supposed yeah, to be. Yeah, there's a really, you know. and I think we talked about this last time, but the Folding Ideas guy did a really great um, yeah. little bit on the three, on 300, where he was like, I acknowledge that this movie is problematic in a dozen ways. I acknowledge that the movie is <laughs> dumb, but yeah. like, holy shit, if every single moment of it is not fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's like, you know, it's like that basically 300 is like the, is kind of like the credit sequence of this film. It's like, but over an hour and, or I think it was two hours and five minutes or something. It was like over two hours. It was surprisingly long for what it was. Um, And yeah, well, no, I mean, I mean, it's just one of those, it's like when I watched, because I wasn't familiar with the source material until the, Mm. basically the film came out and they, and the, books reappeared in bookstores and everything like that. And I was like, yeah, exactly. wait a minute. There's like 14 pages in this book. 
like it's not even it's not even just a Stephen King short story like Shawshank Redemption where you're like oh it's 78 pages how the fuck is he getting a movie out of this you know it's <laughs> it's just art with like a handful yeah, of lines yeah, the Frank yeah. the Frank Miller comic is like a 64 page one shot yeah. and a lot of them are just like pages of shit yeah, like yeah it's a splash fight. yeah and, you know, and so, like, Watchmen has, again, Watchmen has a very specific, I mean, it could even been, you know, I think that this, I think that he, you know, if he did a, if he had a, if he had a shot at directing the HBO miniseries, mm-hmm. I think it'd be fucking incredible. Because it would just be oh, like, absolutely. there's a budget. I, I would, um, I would genuinely, a, yeah, I, I, like, and again, like, as somebody who, who has read Watchmen a bunch of times, yeah. there's there's bits and pieces that aren't in this film that I would have liked to have seen, but I'm kind of, like, looking at the movie as a whole yeah. and going, it's it's honestly not that much poorer for that stuff not being there. Yeah. But, yeah, if you were going to give him, like, a 22-episode series on HBO and just be like, yeah, go to town, make a fucking 22-hour-long yeah. Watchmen movie, yeah. uh, I, I would watch the shit out of that. Yeah. I mean, especially, I mean, like, like so, my one of my my you know I was joking before about uh, Hudson Hawk, mm-hmm. but I mean like my favorite film probably of all time uh, is Oh Lucky Man. Uh, mm-hmm. It's Lindy, Lindsay Anderson. It when it came out uh, when I was able to actually get it on VHS, um, it was two tapes <laughs> to, to tell you how long it was, um, which you know to children under thirty won't understand what that means. But <laughs> but it's a long it's the longest film. But supposedly. <laughs> supposedly there's a six hour cut out there nice. and I remember after watching it and my film film professor telling me that who also is the one thing we share one of the things we shared is that's also his favorite film of all time yeah, too yeah. and I go and I'm going is it available somewhere <laughs> like, <laughs> how can we watch it and he's like it's it, yeah it, it's basically not nothing and so like you always hear stories about that like that there's like four hour versions of films and six hour yeah, versions there's, of films. there's like a three hour cut of the breakfast club that john hughes yeah. like screened once has on vhs and then he passed away so it's probably nowhere now yeah and and, and, but, and you just go and this again this is like you know returning back to this and we're like i just like if it's terrible like then fuck it <laughs> like it's terrible yeah. and you go okay well i got this other source material it's great i got this yeah, version exactly and like that's to me always you know this goes back to so many conversations with the superhero stuff where it's like i got my version that's great yeah (laughs) like why are you angry that this version exists i think one of the reasons like that's one of those things where one of the only reasons that i can i can justify the people who are super upset about the lucas like the special editions of star wars yeah, is because when he went and did that, he removed yeah. the yeah. other That's one from it. circulation, yeah. and so it's like, yeah, you know, granted, yes, they exist on VHS and video disc or whatever, but <laughs> one hundred and twenty dollars or whatever it was. Yeah, exactly. But 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 I do like, I I'm in, I'm in complete agreement with you. I would love to see you know, if there's four workable cuts of a good movie. Yeah. I'm totally down with having all four of those available to people. So you can, I mean, if nothing else, it's fucking fascinating to somebody who likes looking at movies critically and can like look at the decisions made. I mean, I, I love, and I wish that I still had it because I bought it on VHS and I, I have no idea where it went. Like, I wish that I still had the ABC cut of Mallrats <laughs> yeah. that had all that like random crap at the beginning that got cut out. And then, oh my you know, God, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I saw that like the, once. Yeah. 
yeah, the thing about the governor's ball and like yeah. he inadvertently, like, yeah, blah 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 blah. Like, and a, and a lot of those scenes are like deleted scenes on the DVD, but there is a cut of the movie that actually integrates a lot of that stuff. And you're yeah. just like, man, I as as much as the final cut of the movie is leagues better than yeah. the the than the 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 weird like pre theatrical cut. Yeah, there's something worthwhile about looking at that and going like, Oh, okay. I see how the movie that I like came together because here's how the, here's where the process began. And like mall rats is a good example, probably of the the Snyder cut thing. Like there's no guarantee that Snyder's cut will be better. And I know a lot of the stuff that was cut seems to be like establishing stuff that doesn't necessarily affect the final plot. Yeah. But I do kind of feel like there's there's still value to looking at like what Snyder's cut was and seeing yeah. okay, what what happened. Yeah. You know what I mean? If nothing else, what I like I just wish and obviously the studio kind of gets involved more than the directors per se. I mean like it, it, with the notable exception of Lucas who literally was the studio and the director uh where Lucas said, no, this is the cut I want to see. And so there's, there's an interesting, there's an interesting like kind of artist argument where it go, no, I get to decide on how my art is perceived. And, and whether that's different than whether is, is cinema and especially pops, you know, mainstream cinema, whatever, Star Wars, what, you know, whatever, is that different than, you know, an Andy Warhol or Jackson Pollock or something like that, you know? Mm -hmm. Does he get to say, you know, oh, you should only look at it from this angle or whatever. Right. Um, and and so there's an argument there, but like I want that argument to be had. I think health I think cine- cinema, especially especially pop culture cinema, which is mm-hmm. now become there's such a if there's a Venn diagram of of art house cinema and pop culture cinema, it's been since like the late nineties. To now, it's been getting closer and closer. It's been yeah, cl- yeah. getting closer and closer to being a circle, like an in- a one circle, and uh, and I I feel like that argument isn't being had as much outside of like outside of I hate to say like outside of Zack Snyder, you know I mean like how yeah. many other we don't have we don't have Marvel like Ultimate Cuts do we I, like I can't think of any like no there's never. There's never been an extended or directors or like there's never been a different cut of any of the Marvel movies, yeah. and, and especially with you know and, and now with the Star Wars films where you're actually having, um, I don't want to say like real direct uh, you're having uh, tours you having you know, like yeah. directors with names and and a, and a voice not just the guy that you come have come in and be like oh can he be like George Lucas and can he be like you know right you have you have people who have baggage you know not and good baggage you know direct, right, right. you know like real fucking films that have a look mm-hmm. and a voice and a, and a and a feel coming in and doing star wars films you're like is there you know i'd like to see like is there a is there a director's cut version of uh force you know the last jedi you know right. i mean i think that la- i lo- fucking loved last jedi and i don't need to see any other ones but fucking hell if there's a whether it be an extended yeah, version, it or a yeah. if it exists, fucking put it out there. I'll pay four ninety nine and rent it, and maybe I'll buy it. Yeah, like I, I mean, and I get that it confuses. It might confuse branding or whatever people who aren't into it as much. Um, but I also feel like fuck them because <laughs> I want more. <laughs> like that's that's nah, the, that's no, the no. one good thing about digital. You know, taking over 
because I mean, we always continue. Obviously, our entire fucking podcast is based off of yeah. the pining for physical content. <laughs> yeah, and uh, but uh, that's really the one feature rich content because that's one of the things that we've lost is that there's no yeah. features on digital. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, but that and, said, you know, buy all three versions of Watchmen yeah. on Voodoo. Yeah. And so it's just like, so at a certain point where it's like, it's so cheap, you don't have to worry about a release thing. If you already have this in the can sitting somewhere, digitize it. Mm-hmm. And and probably, if nothing else, what it'll do is a bunch of people like us will write articles about how this new version is out. And then it'll be basically free promotion for the one that's already out. And people yeah, will exactly. buy it. <laughs> so, so this is a message for people who work in big studios who have have their archives and their whatever their vaults yeah. um, who have listened to this podcast for the last hour and 25, <laughs> 30 minutes. <laughs> We're this deep into the thing. Release yeah. your archives and we will purchase them. So, I mean, I mean, Warner brothers literally has the Warner archive yeah. and they just released that crazy four hour cut of Superman, the movie that like used to air on TV in the seventies. Yeah that hadn't been like nobody had seen it since 1983. And a lot of people were like, Oh, that's an urban legend. No, it's available on Blu-ray now. (laughs) Yeah. And so that like, that's the kind of thing I'm just like, yeah, this is, this is like, there is a market for these things. Yeah. And certainly in geek media, there's going to be discussion of these things. And, you know, there's like, I still fully intend one of these days when I have time to watch a fucking four hour movie um, (laughs) to do a thing on that Superman extended cut, just because like, why not? Like, all right, see, I'd be down to uh, uh, down to watch it just because. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, that's it, that's to me is fucking fascinating. A four-hour film that was meant to come out in the eighties. Yeah, three-hour two-hour-long films didn't exist in the eighties, <laughs> like yeah. especially action films. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway. All right, Zachary, where can people find you on the worldwide internet? <laughs> you can find me in Central Square. Oh, uh, internet. Uh, <laughs> you can uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, ZD Roberts. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at Zach D. Roberts. Um, and on Instagram at uh, ZD Roberts as well. And you can find me, uh, Russ Berlingame, on Twitter, Facebook, and Russ.Berlingame on Instagram. Uh, also I have other podcasts I do. There's Archie digest, a Riverdale podcast, which is a podcast about a story about a town. <laughs> and, and then there's uh, I, I, I'm one of the co-hosts on delicious flavor, a psych rewatch podcast. And yes, I did mention both Riverdale and psych in regards to the mental hospital scene. So look at that. Uh-huh. Synergy motherfuckers. Crossover. <laughs> yeah. So, but you should also like, rate, and review us on your podcast machine of choice, whether it's Apple Music, iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, Blueberry. Apparently, we're on uh, 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 Spotify. Nice. And so, yeah, you should leave us a review, like us, follow us on Twitter, uh, ECV underscore podcast, or on Facebook at the Emerald City Video Podcast. And uh, I promise, you know, we're, we're going to finish out the Zack Snyder month and uh, and also do some other fun things. As Zack said, probably the next time you hear our voices, we'll be doing a, uh, a new release wall for Black Panther because right now it is Friday and Justice League comes out on digital Tuesday and then Black Panther's in theaters on the next Thursday. Yeah. So there's, there's, there's plenty of geek stuff to talk about this week. And then after... 
we're done with Zack Snyder and after we're done with Black Panther, I want to take like a month and do absolutely nothing that's geeky and just do like fucking art house films or something. Well, I think we should do the 1999 which is mostly art house films. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good idea. So yeah. <laughs> do it on the do it on the uh 19th anniversary. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> As opposed to waiting a year because we'll forget about it by then. Um exactly. but... <laughs> we one hundred percent will. Well and also I bought the room because I've never seen the room before. And so that's a thing that we have to do. Uh we have the to do room. the disaster artist and the room. Oh God! I've never seen the disaster. I've never seen. Oh, the room. The room. I was. I was actually thinking of. Uh, isn't there like a Blake Lively film or something called? Yes, yeah, called Room. Oh, Room. That's what I was actually thinking yeah, of because yeah. I just saw that DVD. I have never actually seen it, even though, um, even though uh, the editor for the uh, one of the editors for the documentary that I did uh, actually did a music video that starred um, that guy. Oh in yeah, it. that's right, Tommy Wiseau. And, and I they believe filmed it, they filmed it at Greg's house. Yeah, <laughs> Greg's that's right, house. That's right. uh, yeah, which I, I don't think that Greg is happy about. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, uh, like, rate, share, subscribe, all that good stuff. Uh, we'll be back like two more times in the next seven days. So seriously, you should just follow us so that you can, yeah, just so, like stalk us by GPS. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Thank you everybody for listening to what I believe is like a two hour podcast now. So <laughs> I'm going to go to bed. Cause I think my daughter will be up here trying to climb into bed with me in like 15 minutes. <laughs> I'm going to go to bed because I'm drunk. If you hadn't noticed. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, there's nothing, nothing wrong with that. So have a good night, everybody. And we'll be back soon. Good night. Uh, good evening and good luck. <laughs>